This is How Shall They Hear, a production of New Testament Christian Church of Renton, Washington. We hold services every Sunday morning at 1030 at 13470 Martin Luther King Jr. Way South, Renton, Washington, 98178. You can reach us by email at ntccrenton at gmail.com. Going to be reading from Romans this morning. Romans chapter 2 one, is only one verse. Chapter 2, verse 4. Kind of plucking it out of the middle here. But we'll see what God does with it. It's His message, not mine. It's God's message. So I'm kind of excited to see how it all comes together myself. <laughs> Didn't you type it? Yeah. But you know what? God has a way of taking a message and really applying it. All I got to do is read it from the paper and listen to the, the voice of the Holy Ghost as he directs it. Romans 2 verse 4. Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Brother Harris, would you stand and pray for the message? Messenger. I love you, Father. We thank you once again for allowing us to be in the house of the Lord. It indeed is a privilege, Lord. Lord, a lot of people didn't wake up this morning to just go into everyday life. We thank you, Lord, that we can wake up this morning to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we pray that as our brother ministered that word that you laid upon his heart, that you give him that fresh unction by the Holy Spirit, and that these words will not fall on deaf ears, Lord. That it will reach their heart, dear Lord God, and men and women will turn to the living God and stop serving the dead God. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Going to lay a little groundwork first. But in chapter 1 of Romans, Paul highlights the wickedness of the Gentile world. In chapter 2, he turns his attentions to the Jews who thought that they were superior, being that they were the chosen people of God, to the point that they could judge the Gentiles of their sins. But Paul tells them that they are also guilty of sin and that God will judge all on the same level playing field. And we could read those first several verses of chapter 2 uh, to give you that sense of what he's talking about. But we're going to forego that. But it's also here in chapter 2, in this verse, this fourth verse, that we it, it's tucked in here, but that's what we want to look at today. What we want to look at today, verse 4. Now, first of all, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And judgment is defined as the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. It's also defined as a misfortune or calamity viewed as a divine punishment. So you say, you know what? I've judged that this meal is tasty. I've went, I tasted it, I've evaluated it, I've made a judgment, it's good. And then the other definition, a misfortune or calamity. Well, uh, when uh, we see there in Job or different things, calamities happening to people, is it a judgment? Did God judge somebody because of their sin? We saw that Israel was judged because of their sin. 
and multiple times by foreign nations and different things that have happened to them. But God does both. He has the ability to make these decisions, to look and evaluate the court case, I guess you can say, the evidence. And he can also bring about divine punishment. History shows us, history shows us the judgment of God. And the Bible tells us of it. You can go on YouTube and see the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the evidence of it, how the whole field is full of sulfur balls, which God used to rain down upon them for their wickedness. And make no mistake, there will be a time of judgment for sin and wickedness that will literally reshape the universe. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. There will be a season of judgment. God's wrath and judgment on the ungodly is real. Like I said, history shows us. People say, well, the Bible says that this happened. And yes, we could take the Bible literally. The Bible is a legal document. But for those naysayers, if you've got to show them the literal proof of God's judgment, it's there. And judgment must come. Judgment is needed. We can't, you know, you can't let a crime go unpunished. They're talking a lot about that right now with different things going on in our society, the riots. You know, you got protests. People protest. You can have it peacefully, done peacefully. But then there's people who want to agitate, who want to destroy things, burn things down. And they say those people have got to be punished. We've got to send the message that that's not tolerated in our society. Crime cannot go unpunished. And he says there, the, the third verse uh, there in Romans 2, And thinkest thou this, O man, that the judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? He's saying, you're going to judging those who are sinning, but you're doing the same thing. Do you really expect that you're going to escape the judgment that they're going to receive? You're going to be judged too. God judges things. We have a justice system for a reason. And I'm preaching this morning on that which leads to repentance. You know, crime breeds more crime. <coughs> sin breeds more sin. Crime is caused by sin. That's a good mathematical equation for your day. Crime brings crime. Sin breeds more sin. Crime is caused by sin. You know, you usually don't have one person. They don't usually rob a bank once. They usually don't rob a convenience store once. And they do is because they got caught. But once they get that in them, that sin, that thrill, that rush of that temporal, they're going to want more. And God is the ultimate judge. You cannot hide anything from him. You can hide it from your peers. You can hide things from your family, your loved ones. But God sees it all. 
God sees those hidden sins. There in Ezekiel, God told Ezekiel to go. To go and he took him in a vision. And he brought him back to the temple in Jerusalem. And he said, look into the wall. Put your hand in and enter it. And Ezekiel did. And he saw all sorts, as the Bible calls, abominations. All these statues and uh, of the creeping things. All these idols that the priests of God were worshiping. Hidden in this secret room. I remember one time basic training. It was, you know, it was right near the end. You know, we, we want to go strong. We had this big old prep rally for our platoon. Because uh, another unit, uh, the other platoon had gotten busted. We were, you know, we were each on different floors. First platoon, first floor, second platoon, third platoon, each floor. And one of the platoons got busted. They got busted with contraband, whether it was candy or stuff they weren't supposed to have. And we got together as a platoon. We said, listen, we're better than this. We can go all the way. We're almost there. Let's, let's make this the easiest two weeks that we have left. And let's get out of here and go home and see our families. Let's not have any contraband. And we were, you know, yeah, 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 let's do it. And I believe later that day, I had a, a need. Uh, I found out that I wasn't going to be able to go home after graduation because I was heading out to Korea. We had to get the smallpox shot. So they gave it to us, but it was too late. And you have to wait at least a week for them to see if it you know, swells up on your arm, make sure you, you took the shot properly. So I found out I wasn't going to be going home. And, I, and my parents were literally on, that, on the road to come see me for graduation, thinking I was going to go home with them. But I want to call them and say, listen, I'm not going to be able to go home with you. I got to stay here. We can have a couple days to give me a pass for a couple days, but I won't be able to go home. So I really needed to use a phone. I talked to the drill sergeant. Drill sergeant, can I please call my parents? I just got to let them know I'm not going to be able to come home with them. They need to make proper arrangements. If they're going to stay any later, you know, a couple more days with me or whatnot. Um, and he said, no, you're not getting to use a phone call. And I was really upset. And then when my platoon mates came in and said, hey, go into the second bathroom. Such and such has a cell phone. I'm like, okay, well, I, I got I to gotta make this phone call. I opened up that bathroom. There were people on their cell phones. They were eating candy. They had magazines. And it reminds me of that point in Ezekiel where we all were like, yeah, yeah, we're not going to give it to contraband. And later that day, boom, there's everybody in the bathroom hidden with their contraband. <laughs> Can't make this stuff up sometimes. But God is the ultimate judge, and you cannot hide anything from him. Right. Now, I, that was an establishment. I, I wanted to get through that. That judgment is real. Judgment is coming. We're not downplaying judgment at all. And when you hear the word preacher... When people hear that word, their minds go to this Wild West scene, like in the movies. Uh, some guy holding up a Bible in the town square, shouting about hell, fire, and brimstone, yelling, repent, you're all going to die, repent, judgment is coming, repent. And there are times when a message like that is necessary. I guess, listen to me, there are times when messages like that are necessary. There are times when the fire of hell 
must be preached about, where sin by name must be mentioned, when a church service, there are times when a church service has to get so intense that the people wonder, how many hymnals do we need to throw at the preacher to shut him up? There are times for that. But luckily for me, we don't have to, that's not a message today. I don't have to worry about the hymnals flying today. And I did that. I, I read all that about judgment and everything. Because I wanted to highlight the reality, as I said, of judgment. But through it all, it is not hellfire. It is not end times prophecy. It is not revelation. It's not condemnation which leads one to repentance. That which leads one to repentance is the goodness of God. Amen. Or despite his style of riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It's that which leads to repentance. Not hellfire brimstone, not tribulation, not revelation. First Thessalonians, Paul is talking to the church. He was discussing the rapture of the church, which brings about the years of tribulation, which includes the revealing of the Antichrist. But as we look at the verse 18 there, First Thessalonians 4, he says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He said, comfort one another with these words. I told you about the rapture. I've told you about what's to come. But use them to comfort each other. Don't use them to scare each other into repentance. Because you're not going to be scared into repentance. That's not how we come to repentance. Peter didn't talk about revelation on the day of Pentecost. He didn't talk about hellfire and brimstone on the day of Pentecost. And it said over 3,000 people gave their lives to God on that day. People have heard of the end times. They have heard of the rapture. They have heard of the Antichrist. They have made movies and books all about these things. Major motion pictures left behind. You hear it all the time. In different movies, they allude to it. If that's what brings people to repentance, then why aren't churches filled today? They're scare tactics. 2 Timothy 1 and 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Godly fear is not the same as fear of judgment. The Bible tells us to fear God, to reverence God, but not to be terrified of God, shaken in our boots. Every time that one of the prophets or the apostles came face to face with the image of God, whether in vision or uh, being taken up into heaven, it said they fell down as dead men, fearing God. But what happened every time? God would lay his hand on them and say what? Fear not. Arise. God does not scare us into repentance. Fear is of Satan. 
And it causes people to do horrible things. Horrible things. Fear. You know, we're talking a little bit before about, you know, we got politics and different things. And uh, he mentioned, Rob, uh, Rob mentioned that he's working with a lot of uh, Muslims. And, you know, at, in, he's working security, and they're all security guards too. After 9-11, you would not have a Muslim security guard. Why would you hire somebody that everybody was freaking out about? I remember uh, hearing all these stories of people going after uh, convenience store workers who tend to be more Middle Eastern. And they were confused between an Arabic person and someone who's from India. And a lot of convenience store owners and workers are from India. They're not Arab necessarily. They're from India. But they couldn't differentiate between the two because they were blinded by hate. And they would go after these people. The civil rights movement. People hated the African American community. That's why they were going after them so hard and segregated them all so hard because of hate. Hate makes people do stupid things. Hate comes from fear. Look at the Jim Jones incident. They were so afraid of what was going to happen to them. Afraid of the government coming and killing them that they went ahead and took their own lives. Cults do this. They use fear to hold people in their little circles. Fear of what's on the outside. Fear of the government. Fear of this. Fear of that. And it causes people to do Horrible things. To reiterate, there is a reality in hell and an urgency to reach out to the lost. There is a reality to these things. And the religions of the world use fear to convince people to turn to their form of God. But not our God. Our God doesn't use fear. Our God doesn't use this fear. He has something more powerful that can bring men and women to repentance. I want to read this text again. I'm going to keep reading it. 2 and 4, Romans. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now the context of this verse, as I mentioned, is about those who judge others doing the same sins thinking that God will not punish them. That's the context of this section there in Romans chapter 2. So I am taking this verse out of its context. But that verse packs a truth to it that we can take it out of its context. We can take it out of its context and preach upon it. It says, His rich goodness, despite what many have said, God is good. God is good today. Amen. He was good yesterday. Oh, yeah. He's good tomorrow. And when you say, well, what does good mean? Well, exactly what you think. God is just so good. There is no sin in God. There is no unjust hatred in God. 
God says he's angry at the wicked, but it doesn't say he hates the wicked. He's angry at the wicked every day. But he's love. He's got love that overpowers any hate. Praise God. God is good, and this includes all three of those who share the title of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. All three are good. They are good. Praise God. People blame God for all sorts of things, thinking that God is evil, that God is the one who caused certain things to happen to them. People despise the rich until they become rich themselves. <laughs> you ever think about that? People, they, you hear that so much. The rich, the billionaires, the billionaires. But you never hear them talking about the millionaires. Hmm. To me, there's no difference between a millionaire and a billionaire. They have one thing in common. They have more money than me. <laughs> they have more money than me. You know, praise God. And I praise God they have more money than me. Because I've got an exceedingly great reward in Jesus Christ. He, he takes care of everything. Amen. I may not have the millions in cash, but I've got everything I need in God. And he'll take care of me. He'll make sure that rent is paid. He'll make sure there's food somewhere in the house. He'll make sure that I'm clothed and in my right mind every day. He'll make sure that I can get to work somehow. He'll make sure I have what I need to pay my tithe and offering. Because my God is good. Praise God. They hate God because he is so good. Not only in deed, but actions. That's the sinful man hates God. Sinful men and women hate God because he's sinless. And they hate us believers because we strive to obtain the same perfection. I've given that uh, account before, uh, even a few weeks ago, about that one day and I was praying on my way to work. And I said, God, I'm not going to ask for anything today. In my prayers, I'm not going to ask for anything. All I want to do is exalt your holy name. I just want to pray and tell you how good you are, how wonderful you are. And I began to do that. I began just to tell God how wonderful he was, all the awesome things he's done in my life, all the blessings he's given me, how he died for me, etc., etc. And as I began to do that, I began to be convicted in my own heart because I saw how God how good God was compared to how wicked I was. And God was growing in grace in my eyes. He became bigger and bigger in my eyes, how good he was. And I began to shrink in my own self. And I, when I got to work, I said, oh, God, I can't do this anymore. God, I need something from you. <laughs> God, I, need, I gave up. And I was like, God, I can't do this. You're so good, and I'm so convicted right now. Praise God, and God showed his mercy even more to me that day. Because I had to come to a point where I realized that I'm nothing without him. Yes, yes. But then it says, you know, despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering. His long suffering and forbearance. Second Peter 3 and 9 tells us the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, and as some as some men count slackness. But is long suffering to us, word, ready, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when you see the whole world given over to sin, 
When you see everything going down, sin going down in people's lives, and it's, it's horrible out there, you say, God, when are you going to wrap this up? When are you going to judge them? When you hear about one of them parades going through your city, you say, God, why don't you judge them? Why don't you do something about it? We remember this verse. That God is long-suffering. He's not going to bring judgment upon them right then and there. Because he's giving them a time, a space, a season to repent. That's the goodness of God. God's not slacking. When he says he'll judge sin, he's not slacking. He's not just making things up. He's not uh, just telling lies. He's going to do those things. But he's giving people time to repent. And that's what the other gods of this world do not offer a time of repentance. He's not saying, you know what, I'm, I'm giving you a space of repentance. Go ahead and sin. And when you're ready, then I'll be there. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm hoping that one day that a preacher can make it to you to tell you about my goodness. Yes. I'm hoping one day that you'll walk into an old-fashioned church and kneel at the altar and come before me and I'll make you new. Yes. And God did that with us. How many times should have we died before we came to Christ? And we may have known it. We may have been in a situation where we walked out and said, man, I really dodged that bullet. Man, I could have died today. But there were other times where maybe we didn't know. Maybe we had that flat tire. That was just a perfect time. We just came off 9-11. And there were many stories about people who should have been on those planes or in those buildings. But something happened. For the first time, their alarm clock didn't go off. Or they came out to a flat tire. Or something happened. They forgot something and they missed their flight. You know what? That's the goodness of the Lord giving people a space to repent. God holds off judgment. He doesn't cancel it. His silence is not acceptance either. Don't think because God's not doing something, judging a particular sin, that he accepts it. Don't think that because, you know, uh, you're still walking and breathing, that uh, the secret sins in that, uh, that sin closet, in the wall in that temple, hasn't been exposed, that God doesn't know about it. He's giving people time to repent. And even us as Christians, because we go through and we may drop the ball on him and we may give in to something, we may not know it at the time, but he still gives us space. And then that's why I keep saying when I wake up, I always say, God, thank you for another day clothed in my right mind. Another day to make it right with you. Psalms 86 and 15 but thou, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-sufferous, and plenteous in mercy and truth. That's the God we serve. There's a lot of things going on right now with these wildfires taking out people's homes. People say, well, why did God allow this to happen? I rebuttal that with this verse, that God is full of compassion. And gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Now, it hasn't happened to me. We have not uh, faced anything that was so disastrous in our life. But you know what? When I hear things of that, first of all, I think, God, thank you that it hasn't happened to us. And God, 
if it does happen, I know that you are still in control. If God allows for our house to be burnt down, I know that God's mercies are in route. Kind of like a truck full of all new lumber and all new appliances to rebuild our house. I know that God's blessings are on their way. I know that they're on their way in a time of tragedy. Because my God, He watches over us. He's a God that's gracious and plenteous in mercy and in truth. God at any moment can rain judgment upon this nation, this world, or an individual person. But he doesn't. Why? Because his love for us withholds his hand. His love for us withholds his hands. We've seen it so many times in the Bible. God was ready and poised to destroy it all. But one man, one woman, one nation found grace in his eyes. And saved it all. Judgment will come, but his love and mercy will be poured out first. Thinking of Jonah. Now we know that Nineveh would be judged. We know that Nineveh would fall one day. But when Jonah arrived and preached that message, Nineveh repented. And for that time, for that season, judgment was, was stayed from them. The people of that city did not see judgment. Because God's love and mercy will be poured out first before judgment. It is not fear that led me to give my life to Christ. It was when I was deep in sin and felt myself being consumed by it that someone told me about how Jesus can deliver me. That's what it was. It wasn't a message of give your life or go to hell. It was a message of give your life to Jesus and he will make you new. That's what it was. The soul winner didn't come up to me and say, if you don't come to church tomorrow, you're going to die and go to hell. That wasn't what he said. He said, come to church. I want to invite you to the house of the Lord. I want you to meet a man who told me all that I have ever done. I want you to meet a man who freed me from my sin. I want you to meet this man named Jesus. And I had heard of Jesus. I grew up in a Christian church. But it was when the fires of hell were consuming me in this life. That I cried out to God. And I gave my life to Jesus. God showed his love through Christ crucified. Jesus is the goodness of God. Yes. God sent Jesus down to die for us. Not to scare us. But to deliver us. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a zombie Christ. That led us to men and women to repentance. It was a risen Christ. A risen Christ. Who showed up in the room amongst the disciples. And said I am he. And I am living. And I am raised with all keys. Praise God this morning. It's when we realized that while we were on our way to hell. That God stepped in. When he didn't have to. And gave up his son to pay the price for our sins. That's when we begin 
to come to repentance. It's when we see how merciful God has been to us that we begin to cry out unto him. John 3 and 17 gives us this verse. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That is mercy. That is grace. Not fear. And it's great that Jesus came at first as a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes. When you see that manger scene, it's all cute and precious. Yes, it is. Praise God. Because it's telling us that I'm not coming in here with a sword to take all out men and women. Right. The Jews were hoping for that conquering Christ. Right. That's why they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. Because they wanted someone to come in riding on a horse, kicking out the Roman Empire, judging all the sinners, all the rotten sinners that you hear about, all these judgmental religious people. But no, Christ came meek and lowly. And he came and he even said to John the Baptist, Baptize me because we have to fulfill all righteousness. Yes. And it's Jesus who went to the cross without murmuring a word. As a sheep to the slaughter, he approached the cross dumb, quiet. And you know what? Because of his meekness, he can rise with all power. Yes. Praise God. God will be that judgmental God. God will judge sin. He will make an end to all iniquity. But for us, he came to deliver us. Yes. He came as that knight in shining armor, as all people right. say. Because our God is full of mercy. We deserve punishment for our sins, but the goodness of God gives us an opportunity to be saved from that punishment. God has made a way for us to be saved from judgment. Jesus went to the cross and paid for our sins because of how much he loves us. When someone at work or a family member or a neighbor brings you a gift that really touches your heart, you tend to show them gratitude and love back. Jesus gave us the gift of salvation. God looked down and saw us and thought of us. He doesn't want any of us to go to hell. He loves us. He loves you this morning. And once we see that, once we see the goodness of God, we will be compelled to go before him, looking at ourselves and say, God, you're so good, and I've been so wicked. And you'll come and you'll repent to him. And you say, God, I've been a wicked person. Please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me of all that I had done, Lord. That's what brings us to repentance. That's what brings us to repentance. And when you do, he'll put his hand on you and say, Arise and walk with me. And as we bow our heads and close our eyes in reverence to him this morning, it is the goodness of the Lord that leads to repentance. And you know, if you were to go, I'm trying to word this properly. There was one person who knew that the goodness of the Lord leads to repentance? 
how the goodness of the Lord leads to blessings. And that's Sister Olson. Sister Olson, we know her. She knew that the goodness of the Lord leadeth to repentance. And I don't know the message that was preached that morning that she had gotten saved. I don't know what exactly the title was, but it surely had to have been about how good Jesus is, how he died for her, how he could take her sins and erase them, how he can make her new. And it was that goodness of the Lord that led her to a wonderful life serving him. And last night, as she closed her eyes for the last time on this earth, she would open them in heaven. She would open them in heaven to see goodness face to face. And that is her message to us today. Right now, as she's up in heaven with the Lord, is that God is so good. God is so good. And as we find a place to pray this morning, Let us remember what really leads us to repentance. It's not fear. Sister Brill said she had peace last night after Sister Olson passed. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because she knew where her mother was. She knew where her mother was. Where are you going to be when that's your time? When it is our time, when God does choose to wrap it up, did you come through fear or through his goodness? Go ahead and start to sing it.